This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Oscar Trimboli. He's an acclaimed author, sought-after speaker, the host of an Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening. Oscar firmly believes that listening goes beyond words, and he is... He has witnessed firsthand it can bring about a transformational impact on leaders and organizations. He understands the true power of listening and how it shapes the organization to create powerful legacies for the people they serve, not only for today, but also for generations. As the author of several books, including How to Listen, Discover the Hidden Key for, for Better Communication and Deep Listening Beyond Words, Oscar's expertise and insights are sure to enrich our understanding of the art and science of listening. Oscar, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. G'day, Nick. I'm really looking forward to listening to your questions today. Well, well said. Uh, so the, you know, I, I love to hear at the very beginning, you know, for somebody who is so focused on listening, specifically deep listening, what was that journey like? What, how did you get into deep listening. I'm sure that you weren't five years old as a kid saying, man, I'd really love to focus on deep listening when, when the principal or the teacher asks you what you wanted to be when you grew up. Yeah, it's a, certainly the case. And it, it took a, a moment of profound listening in a boardroom in April of 2008, where we're doing a budget setting meeting between Seattle, Singapore, and Sydney. And there's 18 people on this video conference. It's supposed to go for 90 minutes and at the 20 minute mark my vice president in the room looks me straight in the eye and says Oscar we need to talk immediately after this meeting (laughs) so for me it felt like it's a honey we need to talk kind of conversation the one you don't want to have and uh, miraculously the the meeting finished early and from the 20 minute mark to the 70 minute mark I didn't pay any attention to what was being discussed at all I wasn't listening what I was doing was writing down how many weeks of salary I think I had left. What I was trying to figure out is who could I call um, today looking for a job? And as everybody closed their laptop lids and filed out of the room, I kind of did the same, hoping that Tracy might forget what she said. And she said, great, Oscar, while you're up there, please close the door and let's have a chat. And as I walked back, she said to me, Oscar, you have no idea what you did at the 20-minute mark, do you? And I thought, oh, great, I'm getting fired and I don't even know why. As I sat down, Tracy said to me something that was enormously profound. But in this moment, it's the essence of listening. What the leader says and what the employee hears are two different things. So what Tracy said next was, if you could code how you listen, you could change the world. What I heard was, woohoo, I haven't been fired. And uh, it, it was in that moment where Tracy noticed something that I've been doing very regularly, the 
question that I asked was a question I'd use quite often with other leaders in other meetings, but it was Tracy who noticed the impact of that on the group. Now, I'll be honest, I kind of walked out of the room quite disappointed because I wasn't listening during the meeting. I got a major uplift in my budget <laughs> and uh, I spent a lot of time. But since then, Nick, I've been coding how to listen, uh, not how I listen, but learning from academics in the field, learning from our own research, the books, the playing cards, the jigsaw puzzle games, the, the quiz, just giving people as many tools as possible. So that's where it started in the workplace for sure. Well, what a great story that you didn't get fired, but it was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a nice little trajectory of your career. The, the one question I have um, is you said it's about the questions that you ask. So how important is it to focus on the questions you ask to have a better understanding of being prepared to listen? Yeah, a lot of people are quite questions with listening and uh, relentless questions can feel like an interrogation. So when you're listening to somebody else, be careful. Uh, think about the question through the lens of imagine three intersecting circles, the speaker, the listener, and the purpose of the conversation. Now, if the question serves all three of those, the speaker, you, the listener, and the purpose of the conversation is probably going to be a really good question. But if your question is up, like, I didn't understand that. Could you just explain that? And I need to understand this a bit more. The dirty little secret of the question is the question should be designed to help the speaker explain what they think and what they mean, not what they say the first time. Most of us don't know the numerics, the neuroscience of speaking and listening. So your speaking speed, 125 to 150 words per minute. Your thinking speed can range from anywhere from 600 to 1600 words per minute, but on average, it's about 900. So imagine a mathematical equation that's got 125 words per minute you can get out of your mouth, yet you can think at 900. So it means the first thing you say is some typically random abbreviation by the speaker of what they're thinking, but it's not their complete thinking. So think about your questions being designed to help the speaker say what they think and what they mean rather than what they said the first time. Another way to think about it is we draft an email for a reason. We, we adjust it, we change it, and then we press send. Most people have conversations with people with their draft emails. It's a little wonder why people get confused. Now, a little commercial break from subcategories of questions. If you're early in a relationship or you're early on a topic or you're early on a project, um, asking why is actually counterproductive. So be careful when you use why questions because whether I've interviewed hostage negotiators or suicide counsellors on the telephone, why questions can be perceived as judgmental of the speaker. Why questions have their place, but most people don't use them consciously. 
why are we here or why did you do that? Mm, yeah, not at the beginning of the relationship, Nick. So questions need to be thoughtful and they need to be relevant to the progress of the conversation, not just for your own meaning, Nick. Have you got a go-to question that you use? So I, I like the what questions. I, I mm. like the the what makes you what me, what makes you think that or or um, you know the when somebody is is negative against themselves. So they're they're mm. having that self talk. I like to ask the question, "Who told you that?" Because if it's not them, or if it's not if it's not somebody else, that means that they are that self talk that they're telling themselves. But I'm, I try to be very purposeful in the questions that I ask and I come into a conversation if it's a podcast or if it's a, a, a conversation with a client or even with a friend. And I'm, I'm trying to process more than I ever have about the questions that I plan to ask in my head so that I can have a better understanding of where it's going. Obviously, we have to pivot in, in real life, in, in a live recording. But I, I like to ask more of the what questions or the who questions than, than the why questions. And I, I never really put two, to, two and two together. Yeah, and the power in the questions you're asking is twofold. One, notice Nick's questions are quite short. Long, elaborate, multi-part questions are difficult for the speaker to process. So the, the shorter the question, the more insight you'll unpack for the speaker. The second part of Nick's question is, his question is helping the speaker say what they think and what they mean rather than helping Nick understand what's being discussed. A little simple heuristic if you're the person in the listening position. Questions, eight words or less, typically are less biased, more open-ended, doesn't make biased questions or closed questions wrong or incorrect. It's just thinking about when questions are appropriate. So again, typically at the beginning of a relationship, at the beginning of a conversation, beginning of a project, we want to ask those shorter open-ended questions. Yet when we need to get to decision-making where resources need to be allocated, or time is of the essence and we need to come to a conclusion, those closed questions, or they may be a little longer. Uh, how will we allocate the remaining budget is an example of the closed question because we have to make a decision. Or you might say, well, we've got two options now, option A or option B, and be careful. Uh, if you're in false binaries like A versus B or red versus blue or one versus two, there's probably some thinking we haven't done as a group. But it's not only the category of question, it's also the length of the question and when it's asked. If the question supports the progress of the speaker and the dialogue, it's probably a really good question. There's so much more to words than than we think. Sometimes in, in words matter, we all know that, but the way that you just went into depth of just about questions is, is the same type of depth, uh, no, no pun intended about, about listening. And uh, I think we'd have a whole nother episode just on question storming, uh, not necessarily um, about listening, but you know when it comes to listening, 
Can you explain the concept of of that deep listening and and why it is so important in that in in communication in corporate America? Yeah, well, we have many styles of listening and great historical foundations for building on listening. We have the active listening movement. We have the empathetic listening movement. And what I talk about with leaders is deep listening. It's noticing what's not said. Remember the math we talked about earlier on? We we will hear 14% of what somebody says if we just listen to the first thing they say. That means 86% is not yet said. So an active listener will focus on what's said and an empathetic listener will focus on the speaker and ensure that they are present in a way that's helpful for them, yet they're still listening to what's said. Deep listening is focusing on the 86%. Good listeners focus on what's said and deep listeners notice what's not said. They will try and explore the unsaid 86% of any conversation. So, So deep listening is about how can you be creating a space as a leader, whether that's in a one-on-one or a group situation, so people are comfortable to say what they haven't said. When they do, meetings are actually shorter, not longer, and the impact is bigger because you're discussing the very essence of the issue. In group meetings, you're getting to the true root cause of the issue rather than the symptoms that people will tend to talk about early on because that's safe. It's a risk-free way. If I just talk about the superficial stuff, but with questions like yours, that your what question, particularly Nick, earlier on, we can explore what they haven't said a little bit further. And when we do, you'll notice a physical change in that person. If you can be listening for them rather than doing listening to them. When you create and be present for them, they'll do things like this. I'll take a deep breath in and they'll go, hmm, actually, you know what I haven't said? Oh, hmm, what's most important to me, Nick, is, or, hmm, Now think about it a little longer. We haven't even covered off X, Y, Z. And all of a sudden, the conversational landscape has a completely different shape. So if you want shorter meetings and the ones that you do have, there's fewer of them, then start to listen to what people aren't saying and you'll get to the essence of what matters. So I think the world all wants shorter meetings so how can we train up the world, the, the people in personally and, and professionally to, to be more effective? Like what, are the, what is the best way to, to get these people? Obviously, reading your book is, is, or books is a good place to start and listening to the podcast, of course. But it seems like there's a lack of listening. There's there's speaking courses, but they're not, there's not necessarily listening courses. Um, so how do you think the lack of training affects the leadership and decision-making inside organizations? 
well, it's not even a lack of courses. It's a, a lack of demand. If you go into Google Analytics and look at the word search that people do and search for speaking training or communication training, and then see the parallel search for people searching for listening training, there's a 10 to 1 ratio of people searching for it. So there's no point worrying about the presence of listening courses uh, out there. And, and a lot of that's got to do with our educational system, our culture that rewards the orator, the charismatic speaker. Uh, that's okay. Uh, the communication is 50% speaking and 50% listening at a minimum. Now, back to your question about what's the cost executives leaders, frontline managers, you go from 50% to 64% for frontline managers. So you're doing more listening than talking. And as you get into executive and chair ranks, you're getting up to 83% of their day is spent listening, not speaking. The cost of not listening, reduced profits, projects that are late, great employees who leave before we want them to, customers who select a competitor who probably listened to what they meant rather than what they said, regulators enforcing compliance programs, governments not supporting industries in a way that can create great impacts for the voters and the communities that they serve. I often giggle and laugh with finance folks that I work with because they say, wow, lack of listening shows straight up in our profitability, doesn't it, Oscar? And I often say to them, how so? And they say, well, you've already listed a couple of things out there, but when we think about the worst situation is not that we launch the product late, but we actually launch the product on time. We all cheered. But it wasn't the product that our customers actually wanted because we didn't listen to them. So you can still be a really high cadence organization and launch your minimum viable product, but it may be the minimum viable product that the market's moved on from or the competitors already offering. So there's many costs for not listening, but most typically, as a system, it shows up in profitability and in governments, it shows a misalignment between policy and implementation. And for the rest of us, the cost of not listening shows up in meetings that we have many more because we come into a meeting and deliver an outcome and the person that we thought we were delivering it to said, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I meant this. And then you go back and you rework it and there's another meeting, maybe another two meetings and like another three meetings. And I was working with an organisation only in the past month where they were saying, oh, our employee scores say that we're struggling with time and everybody's drained and everybody's out of energy. And that's a really good example of listening to symptoms. My question was really simple. If we zoomed out, what's causing that? And oh, okay. So then we had a really good discussion about prioritization, not about fun activities for the employees to do to re-energize them, or how do we get them to do their compliance training on time? It was how do leaders communicate 
clear priorities. And it's been really interesting to watch the adjustment there. What do you think some of the costs of not listening are where you work, Nick? So if I bring this back to customer service or even the contact center, mm. not listening to your customers will affect the product or service that you deliver because you're not actually paying attention. But in most cases, in somebody's interacting with a contact center, they're not coming in to say, hey, Oscar, I just want to let you know that your product and service is amazing. And I'm looking forward to my communication with you tomorrow because that's just our cadence and air high five, I'll see you tomorrow. It is typically that I am frustrated with you and and what that customer service rep is thinking is, how do I solve this in the least amount of time and, and reduce this anger of this customer in general? However, I believe that if you can listen to what they're saying, acknowledge what they're saying, truly listen and have that deep listening like you're mentioning and not apologize, but say, this is what we're going to do. Here's what we can do for you. You're going to solve problems quicker because you're not trying to rush them off the phone. You're letting them feel known and valued. And when you let them feel known and valued, they feel like they like they that the money that they're spending today, even though they had a frustrating blip in the radar, that it was worthwhile because of the time that you spent. And I would believe that if you look at the at people who are going through effective listening through customer service, that they are spending less time, just like you said with the meetings, in that less time over 10,000 calls, 100,000 calls, or 100,000 interactions. It's easier to, it's harder to do it on a voice because you're after what's a one-to-one -one conversation and you have to be present. But if you can still have effective listening in additional channels, but I believe it's, it's the hardest channel to master is that live voice. But I, I believe that there is definitely a delta of, uh, of, of listening skills in reps. Yeah. And uh, I was working with a contact center about four years ago. And again, this is an interesting example. So I, I say the difference between hearing and listening is the action you take. So the difference between hearing and listening is action. And they said to me, Oscar, we're really frustrated. You know, the data we're collecting at the end of the call, at the end of the call, we put a recording that says, please stay on the line, leave a score from one to five. And, you know, they might capture some recording of, of, of some commentary that the person may leave. You know, we've benchmarked ourselves against the industry and our, our response rate here is really low. And I'm kind of going, mm, okay, that's what they're saying. That's a symptom. Um, what's the real issue? What's, what's the bigger systemic issue? I said, um, so um, this is my user experience. I'm going to press three. I'm going to say, you are average. And then I'm going to leave a, a response. How do I know what you've done with that? Because hearing is capturing three and getting the recording. Listening is confirming you heard it and playing it back to them. Oh, well, Oscar, 
you know, that's great in one-on-one conversations, but we can't do that. You know, we take thousands of calls per hour. Mm. So I hear an assumption when I hear we can't do that or it's different in our industry and all of that. I said, look, are you open to an experiment? And they looked at me quizzically and said, what do you mean an experiment? So I had to quickly check, can their um, call-in number provide a path to two different on-hold messages? And they said, yeah, our software does that. I said, great. Could you record a piece of software, uh, a recording that simply says, at the end of this call, we're going to ask you to leave your feedback. It's really important to us because in the last 90 days, we changed A, B, and C based on your feedback. And what they saw in the first month, the path that had that recording at the beginning saw a 15 times increase in responses because they signaled to the caller that they would take action. Now, for all of your listeners hearing this right now, Nick, what do you think they're going to take out of that simple example about signaling to your customers what you actually do with the information? So I would take it a little bit different path is as a consumer, it would back to making me feel known and valued. Like if you tell me what you're going to do with the information that I'm going to provide, it will provide me, it will increase my chances of of working with you and providing feedback. In most cases, as I am a listening post to to most inside the contact center, um, most people feel like they their value or their their time is not valuable. And the regardless if they leave a one or a ten or leave a voice memo or not, that they're not going to be held um, accountable from the rep side or they're not going to follow up because of the experience that they've received. And so I think going back to your question, I think it's one of two paths. I think some people say, well, that's great and all, but uh, I'm still measured on customer satisfaction. And um, if I'm measured on that, then maybe I'm just going to, I'm in insurance, maybe I'll just send that survey out when the claim's paid. So I get a higher rate. And then there's others that are going to say, that's brilliant. If there's any way that I can improve that experience, if there's a way that I can make things more actionable, and if I can show through one quick snippet of a way to 15x my, my, the way that I can give surveys and feedback, and then I can do something with it. So I, I think there's always going to be a, some, some naysayers, and I think there's going to be people who are going to act. And here's the really interesting part of this experiment. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. 
And here's the really interesting part of this experiment. When they announced this to the contact center employees, they felt prouder. There was a different energy level because for the first time they knew what was being done with the information as well. So often we think that the audience for the communication in the system is just that stakeholder, the, the inbound customer in this case. But the impact on the contact center employees was, was just as valuable because they then said, can we have a version for us? <laughs> like, what's our version? They, they would do employee engagement surveys and ask them about a whole bunch of things, but they never communicate regularly to them what they were doing over the period of the next 90 days with the information they collected. So this is true for employees as it is for customers. You can listen at scale in a very systemic way and you can completely change the dynamic of this dead time. Your call is really important to us with, with a simple announcement that says, you know, we're we gonna invite you to provide some feedback at the end. And what it does is it broadens the number of data points you get rather than trying to game the system with that insurance company example that you mentioned, oh, I'm going to send the survey out you know, within seven days of the claim being paid, you're still going to get a skewed result. The more data points you're going to get, a more normal distribution you're going to get, you're actually going to get systemic feedback rather than the cheerleaders or the terrorists because that's typically the survey feedback you're going to get in that moment as well. Like the option of telling it on the front end of what's to come. Like there are options where people will say, will you be open to leaving a two question survey answer at the end of this call? It's very important to us. But the way that you switch that mindset and the way you explain it, I think is beneficial. I think two things on top of that. <clears throat> Storytelling is important in communication and to deliver action. And I believe that if you say, here are the things that we have done to date, Philip, Philip B has done, uh, has made this recommendation. Here's how we've changed that for Philip. Sarah K has made this recommendation. And over the last three months, here's the changes that we made. So I think you could even go one step further in depending on, hopefully they're not on hold for too long, but you could take that and continue that story and just say, hey, thank you for being a client and your feedback is important to us and here's what we're going to do about it. Yeah. And the wider distribution of examples you can have in that case, eventually somebody will relate to somebody in that conversation. And when they relate, they feel connected to the brand in a very different way. They feel connected to the organization or the outcome. Now, the final point I wanna make is people who travel down the B path, not the A path, the A path was the normal way. Uh, the, the customer contact team commented on that they, they came in there with a different state of mind, the customer. Sure, they were angry, they were frustrated, but they knew there was an opportunity to provide feedback that would be used rather than feedback that would go into a vacuum cleaner and just get sucked up and never be used again. Yeah, I, I think that's so powerful. I'm, I'm going to take away and, and send 
uh, this episode uh, to a few of my clients to to get their feedback on that. And I will keep you updated on on what I hear, but I think it is going to be a a welcomed conversation. You know, as we transition to the next one is there's so much technology and I think sometimes technology can get in the way of communication, not it's more of a friction than a, than a seamless interaction. But in today's technology, and we're all connected in, in social media and LinkedIn and, you know, name, name a word and it's a social platform, but um, how is the way that we listen and communicate changed and, and what are the consequences of these changes? Well, uh, communication and technology, uh, technology doesn't make it better or worse. It's about how the human uses it. Uh, I used to work at Microsoft. I am responsible for a lot of the notifications that people get. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> but I always say, uh, use the technology. Don't let the technology use you. So particularly when it relates to video conferences or telephone interactions, technology is your friend. So when I work with my clients, one of the things I use is an add-in on video conference and in contact centers, this will be available as well. It's a heads up display for me of the talk to listen ratio. It just simply has a percentage bar that says, Oscar, you've spoken for 59% of this conversation today. Nick's spoken for the rest. Now, a bit of that is our pre-interview. And during the interview, that ratio, I would speculate, is probably closer to about 80% Oscar and about 20% Nick. But uh, just knowing that these technologies can be really helpful. So, for example, if you use Google Meets or Zoom or Microsoft Teams as video conferencing platforms, they have software in them that are add-ins. Some are free, some are paid. That'll simply do that. It will give you a heads-up display of your talk to listen ratio or who's speaking, how balanced is the conversation during the team meeting. Um, products like equal time and talk time. And these products can also allow you to label genders and external versus internal participants. So you can see heads up straight away. Uh, are we noticing that the customer is speaking more or less? So Technology can be our friend in that case. So technology is also an enemy of listening. And the biggest enemy is the notifications. And a lot of people think about the cell phone and the, the laptop or the iPad or whatever it is. But based on our research in the last two years, the biggest technology impediment to people being present in a conversation is a connected watch. Now, they think they're being very sophisticated and, you know, very, very um, subtle as they look at their watch, but we, we know <laughs> what they're doing. We, we know when they're looking for time versus, you know, shuffling through a WhatsApp message or whatever the case may be. So use the technology. Don't let the technology use you. The simplest listening hack for everybody based on our 28,000 research and the, and the very tactical tips we provide. This tip, number one tip, will make the biggest impact on your listening. Whether you're on uh, a Mac or a PC, whether you're on iPhone or Android, there's one button in the operating system that switches off the notifications. There is another button that will switch off the notifications based on your calendar. 
So if you're busy, it will switch off the notifications and allow the notifications to come through when you're not. If you use that function, your listening will change dramatically. It is easy to say, and I spend every conversation saying, please switch your notifications to in-meeting. Um, most people don't do it. It's a habit because by default, it's on in your operating systems. If they switched it to off, it would be awesome. Bonus tip for technology, stop doing one-hour meetings. Stop doing half-an-hour meetings. You can default to start your meeting five minutes after the hour and finish five minutes prior to the end of the hour. Time is a complete act of fiction, but somehow we have ritualized a one-hour meeting. If you just use the technology to start the meeting five minutes after, this is what it sounds like. If you start the meeting at the top of the hour and somebody arrives at five past, oh, sorry, Oscar, just running late, back-to-back -back meeting. I'm really sorry. I'm really present for you now. Or the meeting starts at five minutes after the hour. Same person. Oh, Oscar, I really look forward to your meetings. They always start at five minutes after the hour. I've got time to go to the bathroom, grab a glass of water, really looking forward to the conversation. Now, both people are arriving at five after the hour but their state and their presence and the ripple effect that has on everybody else in the meeting is radically different. If you are in any kind of sales and you're calling into executives or anybody in workplaces, if you call at five after the hour rather than the top of the hour, you're probably going to get a first-time contact with them rather than them joining your meeting five after the hour in a completely different state. How do you go with calendar management? You didn't think you'd be talking about that on a listening conversation today, Nick. So Are you a one-hour person, top of the hour, or how do you do your meetings? Yeah, I, I, is, I, I like the I like 30-minute meetings is my goal. Um, I, I try to be as purposeful with uh, both internally and externally with, with people's time because I know how much value that brings me if somebody is like goes right to the to the root of the conversation instead of just saying there, there's a place in time for the water cooler moments there's a place in time for how's how's the friend how you how's you know how's your uh, you know how's the family how's how's the vacation how's this and how's that but if you actually need to be very purposeful, you will crunch down that hour meeting into a 30-minute meeting. But I do like the, the five-minute windows because you will actually be more purposeful. A couple of the things that I do use is I don't have the notifications pop up uh, either in, in Zoom, which is what I use, or with Outlook. I have zero notifications that pop up because I used to do a lot of that and, and looking to the bottom right-hand corner of my, of my computer. And I noticed that I was doing it way too much. I do have an Apple watch. However, I've shut off all notifications to my Apple watch because I noticed that I was doing more turning over of my wrist than I was actually paying attention. And I can see people looking down at my watch as I would look over. The last thing that I have done here recently is grayscaled my my uh, my phone out, my iPhone, and that has made it less distracting for me and less desirable 
for me to actually look at my phone. And so those are just a few things that have helped me. What, what, have, you, the, what have you done? Yeah, I, lo- I love the way back to use the technology. Don't let the technology use you. You have embodied that amazingly well. You know, This is a tool. It's there to serve me. I'm going to optimize it for me. I'm not going to let the default settings, whether that's to sell advertising or get your attention to check on the next email to make sure the software is really, really valuable to you or the, or the Slack message or all of those kinds of things. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a different perspective on software. So uh, uh, people get quite bored with me because one of the things I say, I don't even have notifications on my um, devices at all. This, this is whether it's desktop, iPad, phone, any of those kinds of things, there's no, they, they're all completely switched off. It's my tool. I will use it. It won't use me. So that, that, that's my default mindset, except when my dad had a stroke and I would need to announce to meetings, look, you know, uh, three months ago, my dad had a stroke and he's got some carers and he hasn't been well overnight. My phone is actually on at the moment. If it rings, I'm actually going to have to leave the conversation and come back. So in that case, the number that could come through, I knew the number and it would ring. Everything else, it's it's not going to ring at all. But again, it's an example of using the technology and communicating to the group that I have a personal issue. And if the phone rings, don't roll your eyes and judge me. Because if I took that call and stepped out, without announcing it, people will go, huh? As opposed to preempting it. You know, particularly if you're in production or you, you're, you're on call for some kind of thing. Uh, I remember one of the traveling intergalactic vice presidents, Peter from Seattle, flew from Seattle to Sydney, which is effectively 24 hour from door to door. And I was hosting a meeting with him, Nick, in a, in a big CBD hotel, in a city hotel. And in that city hotel, um, there were 20 industry executives that I was hosting and they were all CEOs of their company. And I did the big introduction. Here's Peter. And he, he got up out of his chair, walked to the corner of the room, took his cell phone out of his pocket, switched it off and put it in his bag. And he walked back and he said, I've traveled 24 hours. I need to give you my complete and undivided attention. I'm really sorry. What happened next was every exec bar one switched off their phone and put it in their bag. And that meeting was a completely different meeting. And there are relationships that are formed then that I know still exist now. So as leaders, um, what are you role modeling in your use of technology? Because that's what makes it acceptable to your team. So when we think about the most important software of all, that's the software in between your ears and your mindset. If if you can master the technology, it's really crucial. I, I want to, uh, often I get asked is, is interrupting rude when it comes to listening? And in that 30 minute meeting or that 25 minute meeting that you mentioned, Nick, one, one of the questions I encourage people to ask at the beginning of any conversation is simply to ask what would make it a good conversation. 
not what would make it a good conversation for you, Nick, but what will make it a good conversation. Remember, the conversation is the interplay of two or more people. And, and what's and the that, power of that? And the power of that is if somebody is getting really repetitive or telling a story that's not helpful for the group or uh, they're going off track and you want to interrupt them, wait till they've finished a sentence or breathe out, don't cut them off mid-sentence, and just say, hey, Nick, at the beginning of our conversation, you said, it's important you put the you said, you said this will make it a productive meeting, how are we tracking? And often that will give them a reset opportunity and go, oh, yeah, actually, you know what, I'm a bit off track. Let's come back to here. Or they'll say, you know what, Nick, um, I've got everything I need. Um, we can probably wrap it up unless there's anything you want to talk about. So it's a little listening permission slip. We call it a listening compass to keep the conversation going in the direction you intended to at the beginning. Equally, the listening compass, that question, allows you to check in throughout the meeting because you may need to change course as well, but you need to change course as an agreement together rather than one person derailing the conversation in a completely different direction. Of that is when it comes to listening, I would assume there's, there's the outgoing people, the, the extroverts who mm. in, in theory all speak a lot, right? There is the introverts who in general all listen more than they speak. Uh, from your experience, what are the common misconceptions or, or myths when it comes to listening and, and how can we dispel those? Yeah, so the first one is introverts are better listeners than extroverts. They're not. Uh, we um, And again, beware of these false binaries, you know, introverts, extroverts. In a room full of accountants, I'm considered an extrovert. And in a room full of actors, I'm considered an introvert. So um, it, it's all relative. Some people even use the term ambivert. The, the, the reason is that while extroverts think by speaking out aloud. So their dialogue may seem coherent, incoherent, but they're sharing their real life thinking in that moment. With the introverts, they're amazing synthesizers. They're, they're able to distill. So while they're listening, they're trying to distill down. Equally, they're trying to solve. Equally, they're judging while they're in their own mind. So they get distracted in their own thoughts much quicker than necessarily an extrovert does. So no matter what your starting position is when it, when it comes to listening, we know there's four really common derailers. Uh, people who listen for emotion too much to connect themselves emotionally to a conversation because they're seeking connection. And all of a sudden they make it about them and their story. There are people who interrupt because they're very time and productivity orientated. They want to get to the point quicker. They can pattern match really quickly and they press the buzzer like a quiz show contestant on Jeopardy, but the host hasn't got the full question out and they answer the wrong question. They reduce trust in relationships. There's the completely lost listener. They don't understand their position in the conversation. That's why that listening compass question becomes really important. They're lost in their devices or lost in their own thoughts. And then there's a shrewd listener disproportionately represented in the introvert uh, cohort in our database. Uh, these people are problem-solving machines and they're trying to jump ahead, not just to the current problem, but jump ahead to other problems. 
what the speaker says about them is they're trying to fix me rather than the problem. That's their perception of what they're doing when they're deeply thinking about the issue and they can see the cogs going on in the wheel. Um, if you want to find out what gets in your way, you can go to listeningquiz.com and take the 20 question quiz and, and find out what your primary derailers might be as well. I like that. It's a nice little reflection of what you think it is versus what it truly is. Um, so the last question I want to wrap up this episode with, I, I could continue and, and talk for another day about this because I think it's fascinating, but you've been in this industry for a long time. You have a successful podcast. You've written books about listening and, and deep listening. What's, what's changed your mind when it comes to listening over all of this year, all of these years? What's changed my mind about listening is uh, listening is not about you <laughs> as the listener. <laughs> I think it's best summed up by a book review that somebody did and the headline was listening. It's like comedy and sex. We all think we're better at it than we actually are. And I thought about it. And after I had a little bit of a giggle with the headline, I then thought more deeply about it and thought, the value of comedy is in the audience. Um, the value of sex, you can figure that out yourself. And um, as I sat there and I thought, well, if comedy is about the audience, what's the equivalent for listening? So what's changed my mind about listening and, and doing all the research and all of that is it's important that you listen to yourself first. So one of the big myths about listening and one of the things that really changed my mind was there's a lot of techniques that are taught about the speaker, how to listen to the speaker, why it's important to signal to the speaker, why it's important to nod, smile, tilt your head, ask useful questions. None of that is possible unless you listen to yourself first. The starting point, my learning is the starting point of listening is managing yourself first, listening to yourself, shutting down the browser tabs in your own mind that are chewing up memory, which means you can't be present for the other person. So listening is within everybody's control. And rather than trying to fixate on the speaker, just switch off those notifications and that'll help you start to listen to yourself before you go into conversation or listen to anybody else. So what changed my mind? I thought all the techniques would be about how to focus on the speaker. What I realized and all the work we do is focusing on within the five levels of listening, level one, listening to yourself. We've got to get those foundations right before we can listen to everybody else. And to go full circle, when Tracy said to me, Oscar, I need to see you immediately after this meeting. If I was not freaked out and worried about my financial position and I was actually listening to myself, I could have saved myself a lot of budget that year because I didn't listen for the next uh, 35 minutes in the conversation. So it's a great question, Nick. Thanks for asking it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always fascinating to learn 
what we've what we've learned and how we need to unlearn or or adjust along the way. And I always like to to hear that answers like that because it's it's not like it's a linear conversation uh, from 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 the beginning to the end. It's you you have to adjust based off of what you know to be true. And um, with that, you know, I I would highly recommend everybody who is listening to this specific episode to go and, and, and connect with Oscar on, on LinkedIn, on the channels, go, go connect with him on, on the Apple podcast or wherever you listen to podcast, uh, where else Oscar can they connect with you? Well, Nick, um, I'm a little bit different rather than connect with me. I'd encourage you to connect with your own listening. Um, if you, go and do the listening quiz you'll discover what gets in your way and we'll give you some tailored tips to do something about it so listeningquiz.com and then if you still want to be in contact with me the report we generate will give you the coordinates to go and find the book or email me or whatever the case may be my absolute joy and fixation would be if you all learn a little bit more about your own listening rather than learning a little bit more about Oscar. And in that way, I'm coding how to listen and I'm honoring what Tracy asked me to do way back in 2008. The difference between hearing and listening is taking action. So I hope I honor her by taking this action. Love it. I love it. He's, he is uh, practicing what he preaches and Oscar, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to, to listening more and providing you feedback on, on what I hear from, from my clients based off of what the recommendations that you give today. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.